Hi everyone, Carrie here. Rob and I are still working on the next UFO episode. In the meantime, here is a recording from the 27th of July Celtic Tales live show. The show took place the day after Sinead O'Connor passed on. As a tribute to her, Rob began the show by telling one of his own quieter stories that echoes some of the themes that Sinead O'Connor so bravely spoke publicly about throughout her life. So sit back and enjoy The Wicked Woman, a story for Sinead O'Connor. The sign has maybe big and bold and raucous and maybe body, okay? But I'm going to start... Where's my water? My tea? Hold on. Oh, it's because I have got my tea. My water. Okay. I'm going to start a bit with some of the quieter stories because I know a lot of people at Ireland are still kind of reflecting on Sinead O'Connor passing yesterday. They were all kind of mm. still kind of... Oh. So, I kind of, a lot of people maybe send love and stuff off to Sinead, wherever she is. So I figured I would do a quieter ghost story that she might appreciate. If she's ever out there somewhere, I'll send it out to her. I'll send it out to you as well. And I hope you like it. It's a quiet story and it's, yeah, it's a nice quiet one. And then we're going to have a break. And then we're going to come back. We're going to have a break. We're going to go out. We're going to kill the seagull. We're going to come back. <laughs> and then we're going to have a raucous story. Okay? Mm-hmm. Raucous. If Rockus is okay, is Rockus okay for Australia? A very quiet place and a very sedate there, okay, alright. Okay, this is the story. And it's something that happened a hundred years ago, well, by the war beyond that time. There was a man and a woman, okay, okay, once upon a time a man and a woman. You always see the man and a woman in a story. Yeah. And, or a man and a man woman, I don't care. There's two persons, one's a man and one's a woman, for this story, and it's beautiful. And the woman, what was her name? Her name was uh, Caitlin. Okay, the woman was called Caitlin. And the man was Padam. Okay, so you had Caitlin and Padam. And they kind of lived together um, down kind of towards the Bell Peninsula way. So they lived on the shore. And they kind of worked very hard both of them, okay? So Caitlin's her work, she'd be working, she'd be doing the kind of, you know, looking after the house, churning the butter, tending the cow, they would sometimes walk through the dry stained wall behind them and up the hill, she had to go get the cow. She's weeding the garden, like growing the potatoes and the carrots, so she's working lots of physical labour. And Hannah works as hard as Caitlin, okay? He works hard as well. He works, he harvests the sea, he's a fisherman. So he goes out, and he goes out to catch the fish. And he's out all the time, he's out in his boat, he's got his net, he's hauling the fish in. And of course he's out there when the water's quiet and sparkling in <coughs> the sunlight. And he's out there when the waves are strong and rising up and down and spitting in his face, okay? So he's out there all the time. And it's not just the fishing, you know, you've got to tend your boat, you've got to kind of, you know, Get all the kind of brushed off it and wilks and stuff and look at your boat, you've got to repair your neck. So it's quite physical work as well. So he works quite hard as well. So they're both working quite hard, Caitlin and Padder, and I guess the thing is by working together they know they're working together to build their own future. So I guess it's that sense of camaraderie and building something and knowing it's all worthwhile. So they're working very hard. And then, of course, one day, Caitlin comes to Padder and she says, I've got news. Okay, and the way she said it, 
harder on his heart left. He went, oh, it's a baby. When's the baby coming? And she said, December. We have a baby in December, but he's very happy. Oh my goodness, it's going to be a Christmas baby. So, the baby arrived, okay? And it was a wee girl with blonde hair and do all wee kind of things. And, which babies do. And then, and so the wee baby arrived. And so Harder, you know, he's still doing his catching fish thing. But now Caitlin, she's doing the work, she's looking after the cows, she's looking after the house, but she's now got the baby as well. So I've got a bit more work for her. But she's getting into the rhythm of it. The gets into the rhythm of it. So she's no she's doing her work, she's feeding the wee one, she's changing the wee one, she's getting to sleep as well. And she's also kind of getting into just the way she connects with the wee one. One of the things is, of course, if she's out in the field or if she's up the hill there getting the cow because it's run off. You know, sometimes, you know, she'll get an awful weight in her breast and it's the milk coming in and she knows she needs to get back to the house to feed the wee baby. So she's very in tune with this wee baby. And when that happened, she'd turn around and she'd hear the wee one crying out for its feet, okay? So she's very intuitive. So one day, the wee one's only, it's not quite three months old, the wee baby. So this is kind of the early part of the year. And Caitlin, she's up in the house, she's getting that cow back down because it likes to wander away. And of course, she feels the milk coming in, she's realising, oh my goodness, I've got to go and feed my child. She turns around to go back down the hill to go and feed her child. But as she's coming down the hill, suddenly she stops. And she realises there's something amiss. And what's amiss is that usually when she turns around and she knows it's time to feed the wee one, she can hear the wee one crying out. It's crying out for its feet. But she's coming down the hill this time and there's no sound of the wee one crying out, okay? So she starts running, she's got a panic on her, she gets into the house and oh my goodness, all along the shore they heard her cry, her terrible cry of grief, because the wee one, there was not a breath of life in her body. The wee one, when she got into the house, had wasted away and passed on and died. So of course it's a terrible, terrible sorrow, it was a terrible sorrow for Caitlin, terrible sorrow for Paddy. But the sorrow does not end there. Because the years went by and Pad and Caitlin, they kept trying to build the future together, still trying to work, and they're still trying to get love, and they're still trying to keep going. But unfortunately, there are more children born. And there are more children who pass over. All these children almost get to three months, and then suddenly Caitlin will turn her back for a minute, she'll turn round, and each of the child have died. Okay? Just before the three months was up, they just fade away and be gone. So all in all, they lost six children. And with every child lost, it was like a terrible weight on Caitlin's heart. It was like somebody was putting stones or gravestones on her very heart. She was weighed down with this. And then one day she turned to Pater and she says, Pater, you're going to have to give up the fishing. And she, he said, why? She said, because I'm with the child again. And I cannot lose this one. If this one passes, I will pass. I need this child to live. I know if we get the child through the three months, the child will live. 
So you and I are going to stay on land. We're going to watch our child every second of every day till we get through those three months. And Papa said, of course, of course. And that's what we did. We were with born. I was a wee boy. They cried them Miho. And Miho, he was born into the world. Ah, dark eyes and dark hair. He was full of energy. But you know, they were excited, but they had that fear in them. But they were going to watch him and make sure. And that's what they did. There was not a second of any day that one of them wasn't watching him. You know, if Caitlin was out there working in the field, then Paddy was in watching him. If he was out working, she was watching him. Not one second. So the three months went by, it was the very last day of the third month. And of course, they're very anxious, but they're also very hopeful. And they're taking the turns about. So now it's Paddy's turn. He's in the house, he's in the bedroom, there's a cot there, the wee one, wee hall, she's been fed, he's snoozing, he's doing that sleepy, farty thing to be me all that. And Paddy's watching him. And he's watching him, it's a warm summer's day, and the window's open and it's warm, and he starts to get drowsy. And he's getting drowsy and he shakes himself. He looks in the cot and it's fine, the wee one's okay. He's drowsy again, and he wakes himself, and he looks in the cot, and the wee one's still fine. And then he's drowsy again, and then he wakes, because a shiver goes through him. A shiver of fear that something is wrong, and he looks in the cot, the wee hog's still fine. And he's thinking, oh, maybe it's just a cold draught of wind coming in the window. Close the window. So he turned around to look at the window, and there, standing at the window, was a woman. There was a woman standing at the window, and she was a very striking woman. Her hair was as red as fire, and her skin was as white as the wing of a swan. And she was standing there, and she was looking at Miho. And she was kind of looking at him, and she had a wee bit of a smile on her, okay? And Miho, God help him, he smiled back at her, as you do, kind of like, and she looked at him, and she kind of came a little bit closer. And as she got closer, you know, Padder's like, Padder, she got closer to Padder. Padder's looking at her, she's getting closer, and he can feel the warmth in the air of her, and he can smell the skin of her, and he's looking at her, and he's looking at the, the skin white as the swing of a swan, and the hair fiery red, and this strange woman, she's getting closer and closer to Padder, and Padder's on the bed, there's a woman coming towards him, and you know, he's kind of looking at her, and she's looking at him, she gets closer and closer, and she begins leaning down towards Paddock. And Paddock leans towards her. And she leans and leans, and then she leapt up, and she leapt over the bed, she got to the cot, she grabbed Meehaw, she ran out the room, she ran out the house, and she started running towards the shore. Paddle's got this dwarm on him, he has to struggle to shake it off, you know, and he struggles and he gets to the window and he shouts out, Wife, wife, she's taking our child. So Caitlin, she's up in the hill there with the cow, she's got the switch, the stick for the cow, and she turns around and she sees this woman running along the shore. The woman with fire red hair, and the woman is so fast, as fast as wind itself. 
But of course, this is Caitlin's son. This is Neil has been snatched. So she takes her stick and she runs. And she runs and she runs as fast as she can. And she got up behind the red-haired woman. And she got up behind her. And she took the stick and she whacked the woman's legs. And the woman fell. And as she fell, Caitlin leaned over. She grabbed me home. Pulled him away. Now the red-haired woman lay there on the ground for a moment. And Caitlin stood over her with her child and the stick. And the red-haired woman looked up and she said, Ah, now, this time you've managed to save your child. But <coughs> listen to me. I promise you this. The day will come when the thing your child treasures most will be the very thing that destroys him utterly. And with that, the red-haired woman vanished. Now, Caitlin was disconcerted, okay? You wouldn't be, okay? Just like, no, that was not good. So she goes back to the house, and Tanner's there, and of course, he's not going back to sea. Something weird's happened. He stays on land again for another month and another month. And you'll be glad to know nothing happens. It's fine. Everything's grand. And the wonderful thing is, even though this strange, spooky thing has happened, when you've a wee child in your life, and the minute a wee child arrives, you're very much drawn into its curiosity and wonder, and you start to see the world as they see it. And you begin to forget your worries and all that. And sure enough, after a few more months, it was almost as if the red-haired woman was a dream. And of course, they needed money anyway. Paddle had to go back to the sea, so off he went. So now, Caitlin is looking after the wee one, okay? So she's raising him and raising him. And of course, eventually, he gets to be a wee toddler, and he's kind of running about with his wee legs, and he's running down the beach, and he's running up the field, and his mammy's very happy. She's happy a wee child's running about. And then she stops, and she went, Oh, no, oh, no, it's his legs. His legs are his most precious things, and the thing he treasures most is his legs, and they're going to run him down to the sea, and he'll be drowned, they'll run him off a cliff, and he'll die, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? And she took a breath, she went, okay, okay, I've got a plan. And she knew one of the shepherds there, she went and spoke to the shepherd, and said, I'll keep an eye on him, and what's more, I'll show him all the pathways, and I'll teach your son to be safe. And that's what happened. This shepherd looked after the sun and he taught all the pathways and all the safe ways around the shore and the safe ways up the hills. Another neat quiet place to go by yourself, another nice place to go for nice views. And so everything was fine. So now Mihal is getting a bit bigger now and then he starts asking his mammy questions. And he's kind of asking things like, Mammy, how come the water comes up so fast sometimes and other times way down there? And of course, Caitlin's saying, well, it's, it's to do with the tides. And he's going, oh my, what tides? And she's saying, well, it's water moving. Why? Uh, there's the moon and there's the earth and kind of, there's a gravity. What's gravity? And she's getting frustrated with so, so happy because her child's curious. And then, oh, she has a moment, she thinks, oh my goodness, it's his brains. His brains is the thing he treasures most. He's going to be full of questions and all this. And I'm not going to be able to answer them. And somebody's going to trick him. He's going to be going to misuse his brains. And something bad's going to happen. Oh my goodness. I'll get him an education. So that's what she did. Her part of the secret bit of money. And he sent them all to 
school. So now the wee one's getting bigger and bigger, they can wander out safe, it's going to school, it's getting an education, its brain's been worked after, its legs have been looked after, and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And eventually, we be hall, it becomes a teenager. And he's fine. And he's helping the house, he's helping his father repair the nets, and he knows all the places to go and walk and be safe, he knows, he's, getting, he's clever as well. And he gets older yet. And now he's into like, he's a young man, he's about 18 years of age, okay? And he's a fine, handsome looking lad. He's kind of like a, a young version of myself, okay? <laughs> Tall, handsome, slender, he's beautiful, okay? Just back to me a bit younger. So he's a young, handsome lad, and you know what? Some of the girls, they come round just to kind of say hello. And he kind of goes walks with the girls, he knows the paths to take the wee walks and the wee places to go for a bit of privacy, the nice views and all this. And his mammy thinks this is wonderful. And then she has one of her moments. She goes, oh no, it's his manhood. It's his manhood's his greatest treasure. These, these victims are going to ruin it. I'm, I'm going to have to do something. And she had a wee think and she thought to herself, I know what I'll do. I'll get him a wife. Okay, this is what parents do, okay? So I'll get in my wife, no problem. So she went and contacted the local matchmaker and said, I need a wife for my son. And so the matchmaker put the word out and sure enough, there was another family who had a daughter. And they were looking for a husband, which is great. But this daughter, she'd already had a husband and her husband had died in the First World War. And two years had passed, and she was living still with her parents, and she was still in the morning black clothes, and her parents were thinking, this is no way for a young woman to live. She needs to get out again and get another husband. So that's, they put that up. So the matchmaker got the two sets of families together. They got Caitlin and Padder and Michal, and they got the other family, and it all came together. And the parents and the matchmaker were in their back room and they were chatting away, discussing things. And in the front room, there sat people. And there sat the young widow woman in black. And they were sat there in the room, and she sat there, the young widow, and she's looking at Miho. And as I said, Miho was very handsome, almost as handsome as me. Okay. <laughs> and he's sat there and he's young and he's beautiful and the testosterone is booming out of him, okay? He's 18 he's just booming testosterone, he's looking happy and the widow, young widow's looking at him and she thinks to herself, huh, maybe I will give up the whole morning thing, okay? <laughs> Meanwhile, Miho, he sat there on the other side of the room, he's a bit intimidated, he's looking at this woman, there's a woman over there, she's dressed in black, she's looking very severe, and she's very old. She's about, oh, 22 or something, okay? She's really old, and he's kind of looking at her, and she's looking at him. And then Mihal's looking at her, and she's looking at him. And Mihal suddenly realises that this is a woman who knows things. <laughs> <laughs> she knows things that Michal wants to know about, but doesn't know, but wants to know, and she knows. And suddenly he's looking at her and she's looking at him and suddenly a week kind of spark went between them and they both went, 
We'll do it! We'll do it now! We'll get money! No! So you just have sex and I don't care, you have to fill the text you marry. So the parents are around and they're saying, okay, we're going to do the marriage thing. Okay, but they have been not seen yourselves don't get married again, it's going to be very common. So eventually the plan of the wedding, in the three months time, is going to be okay. Right? And invitations are sent out to all, everybody, you know, lunch along the shore, the relations, and cousins, 32 times removed. Everybody's invited. And so the day of the wedding comes. I'm going to have a wee sip of water before I get to the wedding. So the day of the wedding comes. And it's morning time. The wedding's going to be in the afternoon. So it's morning time, very early in the morning. Caitlin wakes up. She's into the kitchen. Paddle's made breakfast. He's cooking. She's looking about. She says, where's Michal? Paddle says, oh, it's fine. Our son's just went for a walk. He's a bit nervous. He's a bit excited. He's away for a walk. He cleaned his head. We'll be back in five minutes. So his mommy, Caitlin, she's waiting for five minutes, and five minutes went by. And then ten minutes went by. And fifteen. She was getting nervous and upset. And her husband said, Why calm down? This is Wednesday. He can take as long a walk as he wants. Why don't you take a walk? And she went, Do you know what? That might be an idea. So she went for a walk, and it was a lovely day, and she went down to the shore there. And you know, it was beautiful, the water, and the sun sparkling in the water, and the sky is blue, and she's walking, and she can smell the salt in the water, and she can smell the flowers from the hill, and it's lovely. And you know, she's calming down, and she's feeling good. She's not just feeling good, she's feeling proud. Her son's going to be married today, she's raised him, she's feeling proud. So she's walking along the shore, and then she's she stopped because she got an awful shiver through her, an awful sense of something being wrong. And she turned around, and who was standing there but the woman with the fiery red hair and the skin as white as the wing of a swan? And Caitlin said, what? What are you doing here? And the red-haired woman said, ah, now. Do you remember I said to you many, many years ago, that the day would come when the thing that your son treasures most will be the thing that destroys him utterly. Well, today is that day. And Caitlin looked at the red-haired woman and said, Are you threatening his wife to be? How dare you? And the red-haired woman laughed and said, Oh, oh no, 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 no. His bride to be is not the thing he treasures most. Nor is it his legs, or his manhood, or his brains, or any of that. The thing that he treasures most is you, his mother, who has raised him. And your death today will utterly destroy him. And she looked at him and said, my death? I have no intention of dying. And the red-haired son said, oh, you will die. And she raised her hand. And when she raised her hand, suddenly, Caitlin, she felt it. She felt her heart getting slower, and her legs getting weaker, and an awful weight on her. And she collapsed, and the next thing, she was, she was kneeling down on the shore in front of the red-haired woman. And she could feel the life leaving her body. And she looked up at the red-haired woman, and she said, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. 
I'd rather die, if die I must, I'd rather die a God-fearing Christian woman than live on and live on a, a wicked woman like you. And at that, the red-haired woman looked at her and said, Wicked, wicked am I. Let me tell you my story. I came from these parts I lived here many, many hundreds of years ago. I lived here hundreds of years ago, and I was full of joy and hope. But then rumours came. Rumours came from the other side of Ireland that a great army had landed. An army was led by a demon, and the demon's name was Cromwell. And what came of this army and the terrible deeds it done, the horrors that we heard about, the horrors that were done to the people of Ireland, and worse by far worse, it's horrors that were done to the women of Ireland. And of course, in time the army came here, and horrors were done, and much worse horrors were done to the women, and I was one of them. And then the army passed, and the war finished, and an army in a war, it's like a storm, when it passes over, you have to repair and rebuild, and everybody was doing that. However, some of us, our bellies had swelled, and I gave birth to a child. And as soon as that child was born, oh, wasn't the priest so full of rage? How dare you, say, how dare you, you evil, wicked woman, you slept with an English soldier, you're the worst of it. And so I was cursed, and had stones thrown at me, and I was treated like the worst thing ever. And I knew, I knew what I had to do. I heard about this with other women, and I knew what they had to do before they were accepted again into the community, so I did it. I took my child, and I wrapped him up, and I walked onto the moors, and I laid my child down, and then I walked back without my child. And only then did the curses stop and the stone throwing stop. Only then was I finally accepted back. Even though nobody would talk to me, at least I was tolerated. With a sense of grief on me and guilt on me and shame and horror on me was so great that I died from it. I died. And when I died, I made my way to heaven. I made my way to heaven, and there was St. Peter himself there, standing out in heaven there. And I said, can I come in? And he looked at me and went, oh no, he said. There's no room in heaven for one as wicked as you. Away ye to hell. So I made my way down to hell. And I got to hell, the great gates of hell. And in front of hell, there stood the devil himself. With the horns on his head and the hooves on his feet. And he looked at me and said, Ah, now, there's no room for one as wicked as you in hell. Away ye back to Ireland. <laughs> and so I made my way back to Ireland. And I have stayed here ever since, haunting the dark places and the caves and the shadows at midnight. And every so often, I take my revenge and I let Ireland know the pain that I felt. 
And with this, the redhead woman stopped and looked down at Caitlin. And Caitlin was on the ground there and almost dead. But she looked up at the woman and she said, let me live. If you let me live, I tell you now, I will tend your grave with prayers and mercy. Let me live. And the red-haired woman looked and said, Grave? I have no grave. When I died, they threw my body in a ditch the way you would the corpse of a diseased animal. I have no grave. No one gave me a grave. Nobody gave me prayers of forgiveness. Nothing. And now, poor Caitlin, her body was almost done. She was collapsed on the ground and she was so weak that as she lay there, she slowly managed to bless herself and she began to pray. And she prayed to God and Jesus and all the saints and martyrs. And she prayed and prayed, but she did not pray for herself and she did not pray for evil. She prayed for the red-haired queen. And the strongest prayers she made were to Mary, the Queen of Heaven. She prayed to Mary, Mary, find peace for this woman. Find forgiveness for her. Let her soul be at rest. And when she finished praying, she waited. She waited for the very last bit of breath to leave her body. But she waited. And she waited. And her breath got stronger and stronger. And she could feel her blood moving quicker and quicker. And suddenly she looked and she was well again. And she looked up, and the red-haired woman had vanished. And from that day till this, the red-haired woman was never seen again. And Caitlin went to Hall's wedding. It was a fine wedding. And him and his wife, and his mommy, and his children, and their grandchildren, all lived happily ever after. Thank you. The Celtic Tales Chronicles is written, hosted and produced by Kerry Graham and Rob Fulton. Edited by Rob Fulton. Cover artwork by Kerry Graham. Music by Kevin McLeod.